morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I really appreciate all the sacrifices that people make uh, every Sunday to come and be a part of getting things together. I, you know, you think that, you know, now what's the big risk of getting up here and leading praise and worship? Well, our bass player broke her toe this morning in practice, so it is. It's pretty risky stuff. She dropped the guitar on her toe and uh, had to go to had to go to urgent care this morning. But uh, anyway, we're uh, we're really glad that all of you are here. And it was such a great time the other night at the uh, Fall Fest. Had a great time, and I want to thank everyone that made that so special. Uh, Koi had like the most perfect fire I've ever seen. Like the wood was like just stacked perfectly in the fire. Good job, Koi. Yeah. All of those, those that grilled, those that brought food and, and it was a real international gathering. It was really neat. We had, uh, we had Spanish going on. We had Farsi going on and people from all over the world actually were gathered around and I thought it was just a beautiful picture. And so we, We sang with all of those cultures around the fire. He's got the whole world in his hands. It was a beautiful, beautiful night, beautiful thing. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I like to start a little bit light uh, before we get into the Word of God. So I'll tell you a story about a pastor who was visiting an elderly woman. And when he was visiting her, he noticed that she had a a bowl of peanuts up on um, the dresser uh, where he was visiting her. And he was just kind of nervously eating the peanuts while he was talking to the woman. And, uh, you know, the more he talked, the more peanuts he ate. And finally, he looked down at the bowl of peanuts and he embarrassed himself because he realized he'd ate all of the ladies' peanuts that were, that were there. And he said, oh, ma'am, he said, I am so sorry. I've, I've eaten all of your peanuts. And the lady said, Pastor, don't worry about it. She said, since I've gotten old and gotten these false teeth, all I can do is suck the chocolate off of them anyway and put them... <laughs> All right. Okay, we're doing this series called uh, Running with the Giants. And uh, our our theme passage is, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, you know, yesterday, stands were, fans were in the stands, 65,000, 70,000 people at the ballgame. Ah, you could just hear the crowd noise. We're surrounded by that kind of a crowd, bigger than was at Neyland Stadium yesterday, true. All those who have died in faith, they're surrounding us. And a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Hebrews chapter 12, 1. So we've kind of just kind of imagined, you know, when you hear crowd noise, it's, it's indistinguishable what they're saying. But what if we could maybe mic somebody who's in the crowd? How many, how many of them maybe watch football? They're doing, this, they're doing this thing now in football games where they'll mic a player. You know, normally you can't hear what the players are saying. But uh, I guess because we're living in this uh, virtual reality world now, you know, to make the game more interesting, we want to hear what they're saying on the field. So they'll pick a player and they'll mic him and we'll actually get to hear what they're saying. Or maybe they'll mic one of the managers of a baseball game. So we're going to imagine today that they've, they've mic'd up one of these people that's cheering. And the person that we've mic'd up this morning is a guy named Elisha. And now it's easy to get him mixed up with 
with another man named Elijah. I'm not talking about Elijah. We're talking about Elisha. Elijah is worthy of his own of his own uh, sermon and own story because of among the prophets, Elijah is the guy that sort of represents the prophets. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus in the New Testament, you remember he met on a mountain with, with two people, two people from the Old Testament met with Jesus on a mountain, Moses and Elijah. Moses represented the law, and Elijah represented the prophets, and they, and they met with Jesus, interestingly enough. After they meet there, the other two disappear, and Jesus is left standing there. And, there, and there's a message in that, too, that, that, that once you've seen Jesus, the law and the prophets and everything are contained in him. Amen. So, But we're not talking about Elijah. We're talking about Elisha. But the reason I brought up Elijah is because Elijah was Elisha's mentor, just to make it a little bit more confusing. Um, there were two great days in your life. The day you were born was a great day. A second great day is the day you realize why you were born. In, 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 in class today, a- afterwards, that's actually what we're going to be talking about today. My wife, Melanie, is going to be leading the uh, the 201 class. That's the class where we we discover why we were born. Actually, Jana's teaching a whole small group right now on that very topic, helping people discover their spiritual gifts and why they were born, why you're on planet Earth. And uh, so the story of Elisha is for those times when you wonder if your life counts. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Why was I put on this planet? Great that I was born, but realizing why you were born. His life doesn't start out glamorous. His life starts out rather mundane. Uh, Most of us, uh, if we look at our lives, most of our lives are just pretty mundane get up in the morning, go to work, do our, do our thing, go to school, doing whatever we're doing in life, nothing very glamorous. And that was very much the way that Elisha's life was. In fact, the view that Elisha had every day was uh, two rear ends of an oxen. He drove a team of oxen which means that what he got to see every day and what he got to smell every day was the tail side of an oxen. So that's what he saw, that's what he smelt, that's what he dealt with every day. That's Elisha. So today, in in, in your worship guides, there's a place you can take notes. Give your best wherever God puts you. We're going to talk about wherever God puts you, give your best. You see, because God is not just watching the highlight reel. You know, we talk about the football games and all of that, but really football games are are not one on the football field. They're one in the the weight training room. They're one on the practice field. They're one in what you choose to eat before the game. They're one, you know, don't look at me, judge. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. 
Um, It's a lot more than what you see, right, when it it comes time for the ball game, right? Quentin likes to train. He he eats weird food. He he exercises all the time. And, And when he goes to the weight room, there's no one there going, Yeah, Quentin! Yeah, man! Good choice not to eat those donuts today, you know? No one's doing that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Be nice if they were, wouldn't it? But the Bible says this, that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, observing both the evil and the good. I think, I think all of us have those, those, those times in life when we think no one's watching, no one will see this, no one, this, this, no, no, one, no one can see what's going on here. God does. And that's what we're actually going to be talking about today, a guy who most of his life has not lived on, on stage, most of his life has not lived in, in a celebrity kind of status, but most of his life is lived looking at the rear end of two oxen and smelling them every day and, and, and working them. And so as you're taking notes today, wherever you are, give your best in obscurity and God will reward it. Give your best in obscurity, and God will reward it. Imagine, imagine if you were, um, you were a, a fan of somebody, maybe Peyton Manning or something, and he just showed up on your job one day. This is what happens to Elisha. He, 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 everyone, everyone knew Elijah, and Elijah was great, and Elisha would have been uh, would have looked up to Elijah, and one day Elisha is out looking at the rear end of two oxen out in the field, and let's pick it up in First Kings chapter nineteen, verse nineteen, and see what it says. And Elijah went out and found Elisha, so his hero comes to the field. Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha, and I think the Bible's intentional to do this. Elisha was plowing the 12th team. <laughs> in other words, Elijah had to look over the guy on the first team and the second team and the third team and the fourth team and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh. He got down to the last one. Elisha, there he is. He's, he's the 12th man. He's got. He's on the tail end of two oxen, and Elijah shows up, and he went over to him, and I think this is cool. He throws his cloak over him, across his shoulders, and then he just walks away. How cool is that? Didn't say anything. Just whoosh, walks away. You know, long before this phrase, drop the mic, happened, this is drop the cloak. You know, it was a drop the cloak moment. He just, he just throws his cloak, walks away. Now, you know what's really cool about that? Nothing happens for 10 years after that. How about that? He just throws his coat over Elisha, walks off, doesn't say a word. But it's a reminder. God sees you. When you're on the 12th team of oxen, looking at rear ends and smelling their remainders. 
God see. And, 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 and before anything ever happens, it's almost like God saying, I see you. I know you think you're out here. Nobody's, nobody's paying attention, but I see you. There was a time, you know, you guys see me on stage on Sunday mornings and, uh, you know, and you just probably thought, think, you know, I, I grew up just pastoring. I didn't. There, there was a there was a major part of my life where Melanie and I lived in obscurity, and probably the most obscure time in our life. Honestly, my wife and I grew up in a denomination where where we sort of had name recognition. Her dad, I'm sorry, her grandfather was the head of our whole denomination. Everyone knew her family. Everyone knew their names. Everyone, you know, when when Melanie's family went to uh, the annual meetings, they were royalty. They sat in the special seats. They did all of that. They were they were royalty. My mother and father were pretty well known in our denomination. My mother spoke at women's conferences all over the all over the nation and actually all over the world. One time spoke to ten thousand ladies at a meeting in in, uh, in in Louisiana. They were known and all of that. And and uh, my wife and I came to a point in our lives where we weren't bitter about our upbringing, our denomination, but we came to a point where we realized that God was bigger than our denomination, and we felt God was calling us to leave our denomination and to reach a broader audience than our, because our denomination was one of those denominations. Maybe some of you grew up in one of those. They kind of thought we were the only denomination, you know, that we were God's real people. And, and, and then I found out we're not God's only real people, you know, and that God has a lot of people. And and so we, we gave up, you know, honestly, if I'd stayed in our denomination, I could have had a sweet position just by who I knew, you know. They, I, I could have had a great job and given a church and all of those kind of things would have happened. You know, her parents were pastors, my dad was pastor, all of that. And um, I remember my wife and I, when we, we decided we were going to leave our denomination and how difficult that was. And her grandfather flew out to where we were to try to talk us out of it. You know, here I am like a 20-year-old boy, and he's got his finger in my nose telling me, you know, what's, you know, these bad things are going to happen if you do this. And, and we left our denomination. It was terrible. I, I told my parents, and I, I just remember sweating, you know, and just all of the angst about, about explaining that to them. And so we left, and so we were like a man without a country, a woman without a country. We, we knew who we weren't, but we didn't know who we were. I'd graduated from seminary. I had no denomination. I went to a Baptist seminary. I wasn't a Baptist. But I wasn't my denomination either. And we went to Oklahoma City, and, and I worked as a hospital chaplain for two years. And, and really, from the time I was a child, I, I had this desire to, to pastor. I believe a God-given calling in my life. It was almost like the code had been thrown over me, and someone walked away. You know, like, this is what you're going to do with your life, but I'm not going to give you any more instruction. Just going to walk off, you know? How many you ever felt like that way? Like, you know, you, you got these vague words and then something walked off, you know? <laughs> Where are you now, Elijah? All I can smell is the rear end of this, of this auction, you know, every day. So, so here we are in Oklahoma City. And we found a great church. We went to a church called Our Lord's Community Church. It was kind of a Presbyterian-type church that had had a revival. And they were, and it was a spirit-filled 
they were doing praise and worship songs, and yet the, the pastor wore a robe, and they had a pipe organ and praise and worship. It worked. I don't know. It was, it was awesome. But it, it worked for us, and, and it was a, a great local church that we, that we found and a great pastor. And, and I remember being in that church, having, and, and by the way, they were part of a denomination that as much as I loved that church, I knew I wasn't going to fit in that denomination either. It was going to be a great local church for me, but I wasn't going to fit in that denomination for, for various theological reasons. And, and, uh, but the pastor preached one morning, don't remember what the sermon was. I hate that, by the way. You guys will always talk about church was great. I don't remember what the pastor said. Songs were beautiful, though, you know really ticks me off. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, so the, uh, there was, there was an altar call given and, and this church had elders, uh, male and female elders. And, and, uh, I remember this female elder standing up at the altar and they said, if you want prayer for anything, come on up and be prayed for. So I went and stood in front of this female elder at this Presbyterian-type church. It was actually called Reformed Church of America, RCA. Standing there. And I came up to her, and I just, I was filled with angst and tears coming down my eyes. And I said, would you just please pray that God would open a door in my life and that he would show me his will for my life? Prayed that prayer. You remember this, Melon? Prayed this prayer. And the female elder didn't do it. She didn't do what I asked her to do. The female elder got real quiet and she said, I know that you've come up to pray for God's will in your life. But I feel like the Lord just nudged me and said, don't pray for that. Instead, he told me to pray for you that, that the Lord himself would just be enough for you. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. I'm never standing in front of you again, you know. <laughs> but I remember just breaking. I just remember breaking and crying and and she just prayed that God would be enough. And, and something very, very important happened in that moment. I said to the Lord, Lord, if I, if I spend the rest of my life in this hospital chapel, in this hospital serving cancer patients and, no, and never pastor a church, that'll be enough. And I'll do it faithfully. And, and, I, and I'll just... I'll just I'll just walk it out. And I wish I could tell you like the next day, you know, that God opened a new door in my life. It didn't happen, but but eventually it did. But God was wanting me to know, God was wanting me to know that you've got to give your best when no one sees you. When no one knows your name, when no one's watching, when you don't have a denomination behind you, when, when all of those things sort of fall away. Jesus was one time talking about how, how people pray and how they, 
how they give their money and how they fast. And, and Jesus said, you know, don't, don't, don't pray in public to get attention. And, and don't fast in such a way that says, oh, I'm so miserable because I'm fasting. But in Matthew 6, 4, he said, give your gifts in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. We've got to get to the point where we learn to give our gifts in private, where we, where we learn to say, Lord, if no one ever sees me, if all I see for the rest of my life is the hind end of these two oxen, that'll be enough, Lord. Next thing I want to share is give your best in small things and God will give you bigger things to do. God cares about the details, the way that you, the way that you handle your position at the church, the, 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 the way you handle your doing things with excellence. He cares about some. This is going to be convicting. He cares about the floorboard of your car. Ouch. Uh, you know, doing, doing, doing things, you know, doing things well in one area that translates into things in other areas. Do a few things extremely well. Listen to me, church. Do a few things extremely well. My dad preached a great message one time called Be Faithful Over a Few Things. You don't have to be amazing at everything. But just find a few things. Be faithful over them and do them well. And watch what God does with the few things that you do well. Amen? Amen. Listen to this scripture, 1 Kings 19.21. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to burn a fire of roast and eat their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah to be his assistant. This is an amazing story. He takes his farm tools, the oxen that, that he'd been working with, and he slaughters them and makes a meal out of them. How about that? He takes the yoke the wood, and uses it to build a fire and burn it. Um, there's a story about Cortez. When he comes to the Americas, he lands in Veracruz, and legend has it that he says, he says to the, to the people that have come with us, we're going to burn the ships. And they take the ships that had brought them to the Americas because what he was saying is, we're all in. We didn't come here, and if it works out, great, that's wonderful, or we'll turn around and go back. No, burn the ships. Some, some historians said they didn't actually burn the ships, but whether, whether they did or not, one thing that we do know for sure is that they used the things on the ships to build houses and to do other things so that those ships could never be used again. And, and, and I really think that's, that's, that's a powerful message for us as Christians, don't you? That we've got to burn the ships. That, 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 you know, we can't just put one foot in and say, I think I'll try Jesus for a while, and if it doesn't work out, I'll go back. But we've got to say, I'm all in. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Amen. 
the world behind me, the cross before me. i got to burn the ships. Jesus said, the one guy came to Jesus and said, oh, Lord, I want to follow you. First, let me bury my father. And it almost sounds rude. Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their, their dead. Follow me. Jesus was making a point. What he was saying is, if you go back, you're going to be, if you go back, you're going to be tempted to turn around. The disciples that followed Jesus left their nets. They didn't bring the nets along with them just in case. But they left their nets in order to follow him. Amen. Luke 16.10 says, if you're faithful in the little things, he'll put you in charge of large ones. If you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Wherever you are, do your best in the natural and God will reward you in the supernatural. Now, now Elisha has a very non-supernatural job. His job is to take care of Elijah. You know, he's the one who's, you know, taking Elijah's laundry to the to the um, dry cleaners and you know, he's the he's the guy, he's the guy that's setting up the meetings for Elijah. There's zero glamorous or supernatural about Elisha's job. But God wants us to know that if we do our best in the natural, that God will do the supernatural. Now, Elijah came to Elisha one day and said, and said uh, tell me what you want me to do for you. And Elisha, Elisha made a big request. By the way, we need to make big requests of God. Ask God for great things. And, and, and Elijah, who's the greatest of prophets, there are seven recorded major miracles that Elijah performed. Elisha said, I want what you got, but double it. I would like a double portion of the anointing that you have on your life. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. And then Elijah said, you've asked a difficult thing. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. That I, that's, I just imagine into that story. That means that when Elijah goes to the barber shop, Elisha goes to the barber shop with him. Because I got to see how Elijah acts in the barber shop. Whatever Elijah does, Elisha does. Because what's important is not just knowing how he acts when he's up on stage doing miracles and when God's using him. But I got to see how Elijah acts during most of our lives, which is the ordinary times. And so when Elijah goes to the outhouse, Elisha is standing outside of the outhouse just in case God takes him while he's in the outhouse and so he can see him go away. I got to be wherever he is. And he said, you've asked a difficult thing, but you've got to, you've got, I, I think God's teaching a lesson there. You've got to watch. You've got to watch how things are at all times. When things aren't, uh, because everyone, everyone likes the glamorous 
parts of ministry, but then there's, you know, Koi, you know, getting the leaves ready and building the fire for the fall. Everyone likes the fall festival, but Koi was so tired by the time the fall festival came. <laughs> he was exhausted. You know, you know, there's there's non-glamorous parts to ministry. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, when you drop the guitar on your foot in practice, you know. Do your best in the natural. Make big. I, 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 I'm making big asks of God for Knoxville. What I'm saying is, God, in my lifetime, with my eyes, I want to see revival in our church. I want to see every seat filled, not just one service. Not just, I want us to burst out, whether it's on this property. I want God to give us space so that we can see more people receive God. I want to see that with my eyes. Amen. I don't want to just tell old stories about old things that God used to do, but I want to make big, I want to see my successor. I want to, I want to see someone that I can mentor, someone that I can lay hands on, and someone that I can see do greater things. Amen? It's one of the things I'm asking with God. John 14, 12 to 14 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything. Things that I've done, you're going to do, and you're going to do even greater. So Elisha asked for a double anointing. There are 14 recorded miracles by Elijah. There are 28 recorded miracles by Elisha. How about that? Twice the miracles that happened for Elijah happened for Elisha. Let's, let's look at one of them. So we're going to mic up Elisha right now. We're putting the mic on Elisha. He's out in the stands. He's cheering for us right now. That's what the scripture says. He's in that crowd. Yeah, you can do it. But all we can hear is, ah, we're going to mic him up right now. Here's what Elisha would say to us. One, learn how to cultivate the presence of God in your life. There was a time when, when, when God had three kings to go up against their enemy at the time, God's enemy, which was Moab. And, and, and everything was going great in the battle except that they ran out of water. They didn't have any water. And so they came to Elisha, the prophet, and said, hey, we need water. And Elisha didn't say, let there be water. Look at what he said. 2 Kings 3.15, now bring me someone who can play the harp. And while the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. Isn't that interesting? He learned how to cultivate the presence of God. How many know that God speaks to us when we get in his presence? That, That dreams are birthed when we get in the presence of the Lord. And Elisha knew that, that you know, when, when Pete's playing the guitar, something happens to me every time. Come on, Pete. Get on up here, you know. Come on, come on, Tanner. Get up here. He calls for the worship team. And when the worship team begins to play, the power of God comes on Elisha. I just want to say to his church, what, that, why, why, do we, why do we do praise and worship in our church? Why do we do? Because dreams are birthed in the presence of God. That God does great things and, and, and births great dreams when we get 
in his presence. In Acts 4.13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see these were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures, but they recognized these guys have been with Jesus. These guys have been with Jesus. And when, when they get with Jesus, great things happen. And the next thing that Elisha would say is, at some point, you're just going to have to wake up and do something. You can't live in dreams. You can't just live in dreamland. You can't just, just and we all know people who, oh, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. But, but what are you doing now, you know? You can't live out your life just in dreams. Dreams have to go from inspiration to participation, and might I add, perspiration. There's, there's work that has to be done. And so, and so look at what, what, what Elisha tells them to do after, he, after he, the harps play and he has this vision of, of rain coming. He says, here's God's word, dig ditches all over the valley. Just dig ditches. That's what we're doing, church. We're, 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 we're ditch diggers. We're, we're, we're just, that, there's nothing supernatural about digging ditches. There's nothing supernatural about all that. There's nothing supernatural about all that goes in to everything that's got to be done when we're waiting for a move of God. But he said, you just got to dig ditches all over the valley. James said it this way, faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and it's useless. Amen. We got to be willing to just dig some ditches, get in there. Just get in there and do some work. Elisha was not afraid of work. He was learning something, by the way. Looking at the hind end of those oxen, he learned how to be a hard worker. He learned how, he learned how in the non-glamorous time, I can dig ditches. We can do this. So, so by the way, they're, dig ditch, they're digging ditches to hold rain when they all got on their weather apps and there's no forecast of rain. They looked on their smartphones and no rain in the forecast. And Elisha said, in spite of the fact that there's no rain in the forecast, let me tell you something, in spite of the fact that we're living in a generation, I gave an Uber ride to someone last night, and when they got in my car, they requested that a song be played, so they were putting it on. But when they went to put it on, what was on before starts coming out of my stereo, and it's the Bible app. And so the Bible starts playing through my stereo while they're putting on the song. And she goes, you're a Christian? Nobody's a Christian anymore. It's Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm telling you about when the weather app says that there's no rain coming, when, when people are saying there's no Christians, when people are saying, oh, you're never going to build a church in Knoxville. Do you know what kind of climate we're living in today? Oh, that, that, that's not going to happen today. Dig ditches and watch what God does. Amen. Hmm. Before, the last, before I give you the last point, let me read you the scripture. Um, 2 Kings 3.17 says, You will see neither rain, wind, nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. In other words, it's going to fill up with water, but you're not even going to know where it came from. Because if it just comes from a rain cloud, you can say, Oh, well, we just had a, we just had a rare, lucky rain shower. But no, you're going to dig these ditches, and even though you're not going to see the clouds, you're not going to see any of that. These ditches are just going to fill with water. 
base your life, this is the last point, base your life on the, on the unseen, not the seen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see, the things we cannot see will last forever. Let me give you the end of the story. The ditches fill with water. And the enemy comes, and the sun is coming up over the horizon, and they see the ditches. They didn't see any rain clouds, but they see ditches filled with water. But the way that the sun is shining on them has a red hue to it. So when they look at the water, it looks like blood. And they think, these people that are supposed to be our enemies have been slaughtered. So they went in there defenseless. They went in there defenseless. And God's people rose up and defeated the Moabites that day. It says this in verse 20, worship team, if you come. In the morning, I love this. It was at the hour of morning sacrifice. They're, they're, they're doing their morning prayers. And the water had arrived, water pouring in from the west, from Edom. And I love the way the message puts it. A flash flood filling the valley. God can take all of our efforts that seem like they take weeks and days and years and planning and nothing supernatural and natural. And in one moment, a flash flood can come. And God can do more in one moment than we can do in a lifetime when he shows up. So if you could hear Elisha this morning, he would say, don't live your life based on just don't don't live your life based on the weather. You know what I did this week? Just, just I'm not telling you to do. It, I just did it. I just got. On, on, I have phone apps. I just deleted CNN and Fox. Just delete, delete. You know why? Because I got so tired of hearing their vision of the world. Everything, everything's a disaster. Everything's a disaster. And I decided I'm just going to spend more time living my life based on what's not seen rather than based on what's seen. Amen? This is the real news this morning. God wants to show up in your life. Be faithful when no one's looking. Watch God show up. Watch God do amazing things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And while we do so, I just want to invite anybody here that maybe you have not just fully committed yet and, and, and maybe the word you needed to hear this morning was burn the ships. Just burn the ships. Get rid of everything that might stand in your way and burn the ships and, and, and give your life to Jesus and say, I'm all in. That's you today. I just want to pray this prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to ask you to come up front, but if you'd raise your hand right now and say, that's me, Pastor. I'm all in. You raise your hand right now in this place. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning.
we just say, I'm all in, God. Here I am. Take my life. Take my plans. If I have to live it all in obscurity, I'll do it all, Lord. But I believe you can do more in one moment, God. I believe you can do more in one moment. I can do it a lifetime of strategizing and planning and working. We love you, God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Let's stand. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. If, if you have a prayer request this morning in your worship guide, there's a place where you can put that in the offering plate. Or if you made a decision this morning that you want to mark, maybe you want to be baptized, there's a place that you can mark that. And we'll, we'll prepare uh, for that as well. But as you give this morning, we're, if you're a guest, we're not asking you to give. I'm going to pray for this offering. We'll give you an opportunity to give. And then when, when we do that, we're going to sing this song really calls out a vision of seeing the Lord high and lifted up in his train filling the temple while we're doing that there's communion available at the front and the side if you want to receive communion you can do that this morning you don't have to be a part of our church we're just remembering his blood blood and his body that was broken for us Jesus we love you this morning we pray God that you would seal this message home in our hearts we thank you for it in Jesus name and all God's people said amen